Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. And we're going to kick off with a spicy one by Lorelai Tiffin entitled Dominance Becomes Her, the Southern Dom. Now, this is book three, right? So you're going to have to give us some background on the other two. But first, how did you end up in this genre? Well, actually, my inspiration was reading other erotic romance books, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey books by E.L. James and the Crossfire series by Sylvia Day Okay, were all recommended to me by friends. And when I started reading them, I really liked the erotic romance genre, but it was missing the piece that I was actually looking for. And that was the age component because I was 60 and reading about characters who were in their 20s and 30s. And I felt like I wanted to read uh, books about people closer to my own age now and then. So characters started to develop in my head, and I put them on paper. And you had never written anything before this? Well, I've been writing things all of my life. I've written fiction and poetry and um, a friend of mine and I when we were in high school actually wrote what we hoped would be a screenplay for a, a TV show of you know the monkeys back in the day <laughs> and or or possibly a monkeys movie and we sent it off and we heard back three years later you know thanks for your submission <laughs> three years three years. It, it took three years to get a response back. Hey, at least you got a response. Do you know how many people get nothing? <laughs> They're still waiting. You're right. You're right. And yeah. I could have been still waiting. That was, that was 40, 45 years ago. Oh, not fair. Not fair. <laughs> so you know what? I think that um, younger people who might be listening, you know what they're thinking. Who's erotic at 60? <laughs> <laughs> well, because they don't people, know. <laughs> if people think that, then they haven't met the baby boomer generation. True. Because we we might be a little older age wise, but we are young at heart like crazy people. Yeah. And you know, just because we're a little older doesn't mean that we've given up on life. Yeah. Well, how about did you hear that there was a story about the villages in Florida? And, and they, love the they put loofahs on their cars to <laughs> to indicate, like, you know, a dark loofah means they're into dark stuff, I guess. And, wow. You know, like pink loofah. And then somebody was saying that, um, you know, this 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 sex connection may have been a joke and that really they put the loofahs on their cars so they can find them. <laughs> <laughs> actually the villages is mentioned in this book no becomes her i swear it is because the parents of 
the primary character end up retiring to the villages oh, that's so in funny. Florida. So, you know, it's just a tiny little mention, but I thought, you know, what the heck? Okay. So t- t- give me, give me like some background. This is your third book, right? In the series? Yes. All right. It's the third book in the series. It's the fourth book I've published. Okay. Because I, when I first decided I wanted to publish a book, I picked one that I had written that didn't have the darker BDSM component to it. Uh huh. It was just, you know, some semi-retired people. Um, she's a web designer. He's an environmental attorney. They, they met each other when they were very young and then they didn't see each other for 30 years and they run into each other again at a friend's wedding. And they realized that that magnetic attraction is still there and they pursue it. They have their ups and downs. Nice. They got the opportunity. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's, but you know, that happens to people who are a little older. You run into somebody, you, an old boyfriend, somebody from school, and you know, there's, there just a connection happens and you have to take advantage of that when it happens. All right. Now that's the book that you wrote that has nothing to do with this that's series. That's correct. That's correct. All right. So now let's let's delve into your series. Okay. The series is called The Southern Dom, and it takes place in the North Carolina, South Carolina area, which is an area that I would love to, I was going to say, I'd love to retire to someday, but I'm just going to stay where I'm at now that I'm actually <laughs> retired. Moving is way too much effort. But it starts <laughs> out with this couple, Tommy and Claire. And they get two books to develop their relationship. And they have that second book to delve more deeply into their dominance and submission relationship. And a lot of things happen in that second book. It's called Passion Transcended is the second of their two books. And a lot of things happen in that book that I didn't really intend to happen but when I sit down to write, sometimes the computer just does what it wants to do. I find that fascinating because a lot of writers say that. They sit down, they have an idea in their head, and they put their fingers on the keys, and the next thing they know, they're in another yes. dimension. Three hours later, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere I hadn't planned to go. Wow. So these people are into the these, is, it, is this alternative sexual lifestyles? Yes. All yes. right. So they're it's, into that. Yes, they are. The first book is the, when they meet and as they develop their relationship and they both have prior experience with dominance and submission. He's afraid to approach it with her at first, but very shortly he decides he's just going to take a leap of faith and see what happens. And and it's good for both of them. They have their drama from time to time, but they end up later with, a, you know, that happily ever after relationship. And in their second book, a whole lot of things happen and their relationship changes a little bit, but they end up exactly where they're supposed to be. And it's during the, the drama of the second book that the third book comes into play because 
Mistress Desdemona is a minor character in that second book. And by the time I got finished writing that second book, I knew immediately she needed to have a book of her own. I liked her so much that she just, she needed to tell her story. Okay. So that's, that's dominance becomes her. All right. So what is her story? Her, her, her story is that when she was in grade school, she was kind of like the avenging angel of the playground, um, de- defending the younger kids against some older bullies. And the last day of school, she gets attacked by a couple of bullies and she decides that no man is ever going to do that to her again. No boy, no man. And it puts her in that mindset where she needs to be in charge of her life. So she, at, (laughs) at, at 16, she finds out that her parents are into dominant submission and submission and and her mother is the dominant in that couple and so she she gets a uh, a look at how her life could turn out and she gets a a master's degree and a phd in psychology and she spends 15 years in the army and when she gets out of the army she she's a practicing clinical psychologist and when she is at a bdsm dungeon one night she meets the man who could become the man of her dreams and that's where clay comes into the story so we're not even talking about this couple anymore the couple in the second book in the first book we're focused Um, on this woman on yes yes. i'm just wondering does this book stand alone could you read this book without reading the other two? Oh, absolutely. All of all of my books can be standalone. There's some mention of prior characters, but I always give enough background on those prior characters when they're mentioned that you don't need to go back. I would love for people to go back and read those older books, but it's not necessary. You get the full force of each book on its okay. own. So BDSM is what? It's it's a like an umbrella term for bondage or a bondage and dominance and submission. Um, it's it's actually four different things. There's um, the B is for bondage. The M is for masochism. Um, it's it's a whole dark area, and some of it is more dark than others. My couples practice dominance and submission. Um, it's kind of like the lighter practices things. I, I I will tell you, I did a lot of research before I started writing, and there's some scary stuff out there. And I I've tried really hard to stay away from the scary stuff. And to kind of warn against it, especially in this book, in Dominance Becomes Her, she has the opportunity to see some of the darker side of that. Okay. And and it's and it frightens her and 
it's good that she gets frightened by it. You know, it seems to me with these couples, I, I, I'm a reporter and I had to do a story on swingers a few years back. Oh, that would have been fun. (laughs) It was fun. It was really, you know what? It's really fascinating. And it seems to me that everything is fine as long as both people are into it. If you have one that's kind of into it and one who's really into it, you have problems. So absolutely. Yeah. Do you don't No always has to mean no. Yeah. 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 So, um, do we do we live happily ever after, or does this series continue? Well, it's a romance, so you have to know kind of how it's going to end up. Okay. So each of my books has a happily ever after for the principal characters. Okay. But there is one character that starts out at the end of book one, plays a bigger part in book two, plays a much bigger part now in book three, and his book is next. Oh my gosh, you're too much. So so Jackson is finally going to be center stage. All right, and you have never experienced any of this on your own? No, I have not. So you're really living vicariously through your books. I am. (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that I wouldn't if the situation arose yeah. and and the person involved had my my faith and my trust. Right. But I have not experienced that personally as of this time. Okay, but you're not dead yet. So that's exactly right. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. You must be fun. Tell me you're doing book signings and you're out there talking about your book because I I imagine you'd be a lot of fun. I've done one book signing and it was a whole lot of fun. And I I am planning another one for it's probably not going to happen now at the end of February, but sometime in March to promote this book. And I, I have a core group of friends who have provided so much support. I can't even begin to thank them for the support that they provide. I mean, just, you know, listening to me talk about my books and my characters and helping with book signings. And they're just a great bunch of people. Are you able to get the word out? Are you able to get some traction? Well, I have never been good with social media, and that has held me back. I will admit that writing the book has been the easy part. Yeah, a lot of promoting the book, the advertising, the marketing has been a real stickler for me. But my current publisher, who who are helping me put out this particular book, Dominance Becomes Her have somebody that's going to help me with with my social media so great i am hoping to get a little bit more traction in the market and see how things go all right sounds like a plan lorelei it's been seven years since greg roberts wrote his first book but his new book broken vow is definitely worth the wait it is based on the true story of a relationship that developed between him and a nun while he was teaching at a catholic school i was teaching in newark in a catholic school not in the school that's mentioned in the book i did i didn't want to do that and 
at the time, my parents and I used to rent a cabin in the Pocono Mountains. We called it a pa- we called it a cabin, but it was really a huge place. Anyway, I asked them, you know, can we invite the sisters up for a weekend? I mean, it's a weekend in Newark versus a weekend up in the Poconos. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And we went up there. And on one day, the one of the sisters came to me and said, could you teach me how to skate? Sure, I can do that. No problem. I'm thinking to myself. I have no idea how the heck to do this. I was a darn good skier, but to teach somebody else, that that was beyond my abilities at that point. Right. But I also knew that I had to teach her very quickly because there's a vow of poverty. You know, how do you get past that? A vow of so, poverty? Yes, ma'am. They only, at the time, I think it was like $50 a month they could spend. Okay. Something like that. So there was three vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Okay. As it turned out, my mother did not go up that weekend. So she borrowed my mom's boots and her skis and her poles. She borrowed everything from my mother that day. So, so I took her up to the ski slope, and along the way, it finally coalesced in my brain how I was going to teach her. And I stood her on the slope facing down the mountain, got her into the, the snowplow. And I said, when we finally go down the mountain, I am going to hold your hips and go into a herringbone position. He's outward. And I'm going to hold your hips and ski down the mountain backwards. In the story, she's incredulous. You're going to do what? <laughs> <laughs> and my response is, I'm really that good. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I, I'm holding her hips, and I'm skiing her backwards down the mountain. No problems. The second time down, I would push her away from me. She was a little bitty nun. I was fairly big and strong. I was 29. And, and she, she tried it, and bam, she wound up against my chest. We kept on doing it and doing it. And she kept on going further and further away from me and practicing her, all of her uh, turns. And by the end of the day, she had learned how to skate. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so about three months later, we're in a meeting together. And it was how to keep the wayward souls of the school more along a religious path. And they, they wanted somebody who might be able to put the fear of God into the students. That was me. Oh. (laughs) And she asked me, what do you think of students kissing in school? Now, she was a biology teacher. And at 29, I I had become already fairly irreverent in a lot of my comments to people. So I decided to answer her biologically. The heart starts pumping oxygenated blood flows through the body, endorphins are flying, adrenaline is pumping in the body. I'm giving her all these things that happen when two people who desire one another kiss. And she would bring her hands up to her mouth, almost like a squirrel nibbling on on a nut. And I stopped and I, you know, seriously, sister, I think kissing is good. I think groping is wrong. I draw the line at groping, but kissing is okay. 
Right. And and she's laughing, and then she looks at me. She goes, you know, I wish I had somebody to kiss. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe what I heard. Were you attracted to her at this point? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. Yes, I was. Oh. Did you kiss her? Um, I gave MASH its due credit. I used the line, I thought that kissing was on your permanently given up for Lent list. <laughs> but for two weeks, I really wrestled with my feelings toward her. Yeah. Now, the reality is I didn't do a darn thing. The story, however, goes down this other path where my character and her begin this relationship down this very slippery slope toward whatever's going to happen. There you go. But the first seven chapters of the book are probably 90% real. After that, you know, if, if something happened, I either substituted the person I was with or put her in altogether into a situation that occurred. Uh, for instance, my family has the beach house. I was there for Hurricane Irene in 2011. And instead of me being by myself, I included sister in the story. Okay. All right. She was she was coming down for a uh, a week's vacation with my family. Okay. And that that was one of the events in the story. So in your book, as friends, you're teaching her to boogie board and body surf and all the things that you do at yes. the beach. And there's nothing romantic going on. <laughs> the tension uh, must be incredible. And that's what I wanted to develop between the two the two people was right. this sexual tension like you know my god get a room already you two why don't you right uh you know he he takes her to uh the barnegat lighthouse great place yeah it is and they they walk up to take pictures of the you know the vistas and she gets up there and she's against the, the wall of the uh, lighthouse and says I can't believe it. I I have acrophobia. <laughs> so he stands behind her and holds her. Oh, jeez. And they walk around together, and then they figure out how to walk down the steps together. Later on, they go they go sailing. So she's trying to put this harness on her, and she can't do it. So he helps her do it, and his fingers lightly go against the harness in order to make sure that it's flat against her chest. Another touch to it. Right. Um, in, in reality, she had breast cancer. And I think that a lot of the things that she wanted to do was a result of her having cancer. Right. She went into the convent at age 17, and she was in her 40s when she had the cancer. And at least to my way of thinking, she had to have said to herself, is that all there is? That's just a guess. I I don't know. My my father, and we talked about this immediately after the the nun's weekend up in the mountains. And when I finally told my parents that I was going to write this story, he remembered sister and said that of all the nuns that were there, he picked her before she ever skied to be the person that would be the most willing to go out there and try something. Yeah. 
So we have to read the book to find out what happens, whether you guys actually connect, so to speak. <laughs> but, I mean, in real life, did you ever connect with her? No, never did. Oh, my gosh. How did you do that? If I had to do it over again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've been that darn just Catholicism. Catholicism got in my way, you know. Yeah. Did you ever get married? Yes, I did. I'm divorced. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Is the sister still alive? No. Unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago. Oh, Jesus Christ. When I finished the story, I wanted to contact her. I I contacted the the sisters, which she was a, a a member of, and I wanted her to call me. Can any nun help you? No, no, it's got to be specifically, you know, this nun. This sister. Yeah, because I, I didn't want to write a story about a, forgive my language, a horny nun. Right. I wanted it to be about a conflicted nun. Right. Because she wanted to experience things that she had been denied since she was 17. Um, they went on fast roller coaster rides. Different things like this. And she had no concept, no inkling that Karch, my character, was the person that was going to be like a conduit, the the one that would show her all these different things. Right. The, the The night before she skied, the two of us, there were, I think, two other people too, but she and I laid on the floor together sleeping. And she asked me about skiing, and I, you know, I, I told her, you know, how I skied, you know, what got me into it, things like that. But you know, we were two feet away from one another, yeah, something like that. And maybe that was what gave her the the push to ask me the next day, can you take, can you teach me how to ski? Right. I don't know. But then later on, they go to bed. And she's aghast at the idea that they were laying in bed together. And he said, we did that in the mountains, except we were on the floor together. Is, is laying on a bed different than laying on the floor? We're still the same distance apart. And she's like, mm, okay. So it's, a, it's again, it's a slippery slope that they go down together as they get more and more comfortable with right. one another. Right. So how how are you telling people about your book? Right now, I'm not doing a thing. Oh. Why not? What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> this is a great summer read. <laughs> uh, you won't believe it, but I am a fairly shy person. Getting out there and uh, like and 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 doing the work, like I contacted all the people on Facebook that I am friends with, mm-hmm. I sent them a, um, a standardized letter ab- about the story itself. And many of these people are students that I taught in the high school where I taught. Okay. And, you know, I explained to them that while the story takes place when we were in school, it's been updated to you know 2010 okay uh, but that that's all i've done I, I i if you ask me to write something i can write it for you 
but as far as technology is concerned and doing that doing that end of the end of the scale I am woefully unprepared for that stuff. You were a teacher, and you, as social media was coming up, you weren't on that train, huh? I was running up the platform. The train was already pulling away. I, I got out of teaching in 2002. So, yeah, social media hadn't really, you know, came on board yet. Not really. Right. And then, then after that, I went into counseling. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, my... Not the next book, but the book after that is about, you know, working for a nonprofit organization that deals with people who have been hurt. But that's that book, and that's not this book. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I, 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 take, I take things that, you know, have happened in my life, and I use that as a, you, you write what you know. That's what, I, that's what people tell me. I've never written a book, but... What a great story. And I would say to somebody like you, can you write a short story? And invariably they say yes. Well, then write 30 short stories with the same characters, and you've got a book. Right. Well, I really hope you can find a way to get it out there. Find somebody. Do you have, do you have kids? Somebody to help you get it out there on social media. Do a small book signing. Go to a small bookstore. Invite people you know. I mean, it's a wonderful story. This is like a movie. <laughs> I don't know how it ends, but I hope people listening read it to find out. I have a naturally affirmative outlook on life, so that's a, that's a hint, you know. Oh, well, that's good. Anybody remember the Thornbirds? Remember that TV show? It was a series with Richard Chamberlain and Rachel Ward. That's what this book reminds me of. Forbidden love. Nothing better. All right, next up. Hello? Hello, Alpha. Come in. Alpha. Yes. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? Good, good. All right. Toro Appleseed. It's your first book, right? Correct. It is my first book. And you're pronouncing the the name in the English vernacular. I would prefer it to be pronounced in the Spanish vernacular, which would be Toro Appleseed. Toro. 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 Like when, when they're in the bull fighting in the ring close that's toro <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> what do i know what do i know but that's why i put that little symbol over the u in the uh, on in your... the title so that people would uh hopefully recognize that it was to be you know used under the spanish vernacular okay apple seed see that in your write-up I don't see that. I see it on your title of your book, but on the yes. write-up that I got, I did not see it. And you know what? It wouldn't have mattered if I did. I probably still would have said <laughs> Anyway, this is your first book. What, what made you decide to start writing now? It was a, an idea that had come across uh, years ago when I was uh, getting ready for work. I was, I was watching TV and there was some news story about how somebody had written a book about his life but it turned out to be all phony and it was like a big story because he had supposedly been on oprah when she was still doing morning broadcast and when i saw that i thought you know i if i wrote a book it wouldn't be about you know life because you know all of it really happened so it was at that moment i started getting that idea well maybe i should write a book so that's been a couple of years ago now yes it actually took um i started writing in the book in 
2010. Whew. Okay, so you took your time and and got the story together. Yeah, it was the first few years. It's uh, you know because I'm not a writer. It took a while to kind of get it going. I will say that when the the virus struck in uh, 2019, I started to really uh, kind of focus and uh, devote more time into writing. So I'd say like 50% of all of the of the writing took place during the the COVID year. Yep, you and so many other people I talked to that the if COVID nineteen was good for anything, it was it was great for inspiring people to sit down and write books that they always wanted to write. <laughs> yes. Yes, we had that. We had the time. <laughs> this is the unforgettable true story of the real life Johnny Appleseed of the social revolution. I was the world's first wireless handheld socializer. I started back in October of nineteen ninety seven. Uh, a decade before there was MySpace or, or Facebook, I was already engaging in wireless handheld socializing with uh, my friends. And I still have the physical proof uh, in my possession. And I put pictures on page 89 and 90 in the book for others to see, to you know, back my claim that this is not just BS, this really happened. So how does this wireless handheld socializing work? Well, I've been drunk back in those days, and I couldn't remember what happened the night before when I would wake up. So in an attempt to remember, I started writing down where I was, what time it was, what I was doing, what I was thinking, and it just snowballed from there. More people started to be engaged with it. I started having fun with it. Uh, women were getting curious what I was doing at parties, you know, writing down, basically posting at the parties back in the 90s. Posting where? I was sitting down writing into my uh, my little tablet. You had a tablet. Did we have tablets in the 90s? This was a, a paper. This was a paper. This was paper and pencil still. Uh, oh, I remember paper and pencil. I remember. So you were just writing it on pieces of paper, but then how did people read it? When I was there at the parties, when we were socializing, I was handing it out. They were reading it. They were also <laughs> posting themselves. They would like write in response to what they were reading. They would make notes on the same pieces of paper. Yeah, we were, you know, we were young. We were having fun with it. You know, we were drinking and doing other drugs. So we were, <laughs> it was entertaining to us. Oh, that's so funny. Were you also conversing? Yes, I mean, I was uh, I was meeting women because they were curious to see what we were doing. You know, me and my friends would be passing uh, my notes around and having a good time laughing, and they were curious, you know, what's going on? What are you guys doing? And I'd always, you know, pick out the hottest one, and I'd let her know what I was doing, who I was, and they would get curious and, you know, take it from there. My good looks would always play, uh, would always help me out once they got uh, curious. So did you save all these notes and that's what this book is? It is more about parts that were that, I, that were major in my life, like major events in my life. And I talk about it, you know, posting about how, it, how, how they were impacting my life at that time. I don't have like, I do put some notes in there on page 89 and 90. I have pictures from the from the from the notes that I, I still have. 
you know, as physical proof that, you know, that I, I did what I said. Can you give me an example of one story that we'll find in your book? Well, it's going to be basically in my autobiography. And in that autobiography, I speak about how I started wireless handout socializing and more and more people started joining in. Okay. There's some, there's gotta be some great stories, right? Yes. Yes. Give me one. Uh, okay. One of my uh, friends that got out of prison and he was on a one day pass. So he comes over to my house we start drinking. We head on out. We pick up more of my friends. My friend Rico ends up rear ending somebody. Well, we have an 18 pack with us. So we end up leaving the scene, leaving that guy that we hit, but he follows us. How old are you guys when this happened? Ooh, probably 20, 21. Well, the, when the book starts, I'm at 13, and it goes all the way through the age of 27, from 13 to 27. So you're hanging out, and your friend who's, who's out of jail for one day, you guys get beer, and you get in a car, and you rear-end somebody, and you leave the scene of the accident. Correct, and we, he, he follows us. <laughs> We're at uh, the Valley Plaza Mall. It's the mall shopping center. My two friends get out. They end up beating him down, but a crowd starts to gather. So I, I jump out from the back seat into the driver's seat. I pick them up. They get into the car. Now I'm driving. The guy that they're beating is now, he jumps back into his car. So now there's a high-speed chase going on. We narrowly avoid a couple of head-on collisions. I'm driving around in a part of town that I don't know where I'm at. I get lost. And we passed right through it, passed by a sheriff car on patrol. So, of course, the sheriff car gets in, involved. Oh, my God. We get cornered into a cul-de-sac. We're dead-ended. You know, it's a cul-de-sac. It's a, there's townhouses all over. Right. The sheriff's car is coming right behind us. There's only one escape. There's a narrow opening between these two townhouses. The only problem is that there's two trees between them. But they weren't very big. But it was our only way out. So I gunned the I gunned the, the motor and I narrowly avoid pinballing off of the townhouses as I barreled through those two trees. The cop car oh in his wide Chevy Caprice couldn't follow because the opening was just wide enough for my friend's narrow Cadillac Eldorado pass through <laughs> so as he's going around go through the alleyways and my friend Rico remembers that his girlfriend lives close by in some apartment so we stop over there but she was there with Sancho another guy so we have a big house fight with the guys that are there at the apartment and then we end up you know beating them down pretty good we robbed them, and we head back to my house. Wait a minute. What'd you rob them of? Just their VCR, their game, their PlayStation. This, oh my God. Okay. And then you go back to your house. So then we just go back to my house, and uh, we're there. You know, we have a, we converse about the day's events because it was a crazy day. My friend, my other friend, invites us to a kegger. That night we go. There's some guys from another gang we almost get into a fight but we don't because it's my uh my homeboy's house and his old lady's house oh so we don't 
but at the end of the day, I'm waiting, or at the end of that night, I'm waiting, me and my girlfriend are waiting for my friend to come back and pick us up, take us home. And as they pull into the driveway, I noticed that there were still branches hanging out of the grill of his car from those trees we ran over. <laughs> and we had a good laugh, and that's just one story. Okay. What happened to the guy that was out of jail? Uh, he was out of jail for one day. He goes on the run. He goes on the run? Yeah. Do we ever find out what happens to him? Yes. He's, oh, he's, he's my best friend in the story, and I mean, I have to give away too much at the end, but... Okay, okay, don't. So so you have more... Oh, yeah, I mean, there's... More fun times? Yeah, there's, crazy, there's a whole bunch of crazy stories in there. Okay, and among those stories is the fact that you created handheld, wireless handheld that, socializing. That I was the first to engage in wireless handheld socializing. You think that'll ever make you any money? I do. I do believe it because I believe it's the prequel to the social revolution. Okay, you just have to convince somebody of that. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I post. I, I, even, I mean, there's pictures in there, so there's pictures because anybody can write down, you know, uh, stuff on a paper. There's no way to date it. But in one of those posts on page 90 of the book, in one of those posts, it was Halloween. And me and my friends had dressed up. I decided to dress up as uh, me, as Saddam Hussein. This was in 2002. My friend uh, as Osama bin Laden. Uh-huh. And my other friend as Yasser Arafat, as terrorist. Uh-huh. And in one of the posts, I say, because my friend Paul, who was dressing up as bin Laden, he was late. Oh, my God. Oh my so God. in one of those posts, I say, bin Laden hiding still. Saddam thugging. And then later in another post, I say, Saddam, or wait, I say, Osama shows up. And I have a picture of that night. <laughs> so a picture of that night, us, us dressed as Saddam, Osama, and Arafat. And I have a post of that night to back up the claim. Now, how are, how are you telling people about this book? Uh, Facebook and Instagram. Are you getting some traction? Yes. Yes. Are you doing book signings? No, not yet. Not yet? You going to do that? Because you're a pretty good storyteller. <laughs> I, did go down to my, I did go down to my local Barnes and & Noble and, and give them a copy. What do, what do you do when you're not writing? I started my own electrical business. I talk about it in the book at the very end. I'm an electrician. That's great. I started my own electric company back in 2000. And 2007. You managed to do okay for yourself then. Yeah, still in business all these years. and Good for you. Working for myself, so yeah, it's been good. Good for you. Good for you. You going to keep writing? I do think about maybe writing one more book, but it would be a children's book, and it would be entitled Pluto Appleseed Goes to Misfit Island. Okay. Well, that, that's in, that would be interesting on Misfit Island. <laughs> <laughs> You're too funny. If you read the book, you would understand. I mean, I, I describe myself as a okay. misfit. Well, you don't sound like a misfit.
Oh, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Thank mm-hmm. you.